Welcome to Graduating Grief, a podcast designed to help you step back into living your life with joy after loss. If you're ready to move from surviving to thriving, you've come to the right place. Here's your host and inspirationista, Sherry Dunleavy. Every time we experience the death of someone we love, we come face to face with the reality of life isn't fair, but sometimes situations in life seem more unfair than others. And I would have to say that our guest today, Daryl Powers is one of those situations. Here he was living this beautiful life with a woman he loved, raising their children. And then he starts this nightmare. And um, it's one that, really truly makes you come face to face with the fact that life isn't fair, but it doesn't mean that life can't be rebuilt and life can become beautiful again. And that's why I'm so excited to talk with Daryl today. Daryl, thank you very much for joining us on the Graduating Grief Podcast. Oh, absolutely, Sherry. It's wonderful to be here and it's great to hear your voice. Now, Daryl, you are an author of uh, a book called The Lies Cancer Told Me, and you also really um, do a lot of work in helping other people through their grief journeys in your state of Wisconsin, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but this all started with your personal grief journey, so go into that for us, will you? Sure, sure. Yeah, this goes back now about 15 years ago. Um, you know, I we was married, two young daughters, uh, a dog, a little golden retriever, our, our first house. I mean, you know, Sherry, it was, we were kind of, my wife and I were building that, that's kind of that storybook beginning to a, to a life in America. And, 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 you know, I had a, I had a growing career, everything was going my way. Mm-hmm. And I get a call from on the way home from work from my wife who had been to the doctor because about six months after we gave birth to our youngest daughter, just after she finished breastfeeding, she found a lump mm-hmm. and thought it was, you know, assist something simple. She was only 35 at the time, mm-hmm. 34. So we thought, all right, this is probably nothing, but certainly worth checking out. Then she calls me and explains to me that she has breast cancer and as crazy as this sounds, I wasn't that familiar with breast cancer. It, it, it just had never been in my backyard. I didn't really know anybody who had it, uh, or maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Or, uh, but I just really didn't really understand the, the implication of breast, breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And I soon found out. I soon discovered <laughs> you know, what, that, what, what that's like. Mm-hmm. And spent the next three years with my wife and, and young daughters you know, battling that, that disease until it finally took her life when she was 38. In fact, her funeral was on her 39th birthday. Oh my gosh. I mean, life isn't fair. Like you were busy on your road to building your happily ever after. And it came to a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me. And it, yeah. And, and, and to, you know, and to, and the, not only unfair for me, but unfair for my, certainly unfair for her unfair for my daughters, the, the, the family and friends around us. I mean, it just, it was this, it, it, I like that the word unfair. It was just, I felt robbed. Sure. I honestly felt like this cancer came into my home, attacked my wife and me and my daughters and all our loved ones had to sit there and watch it. We were helpless. 
we we tried to fight it. I you try you, but it, yeah, it's it's like you watch this nightmare occurring in front of you, and you can't stop it. And so then that happens, mm-hmm. and I imagine. <laughs> I, I, I can only imagine, and maybe I can't even imagine, you know, I mean, at the same time, how, how that felt and how you felt so out of control and how you, you had to have spiraled at some point, did you not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was just spiraling before she passed away and, you know, it, you know the anticipatory grief and, uh, you know, any, anyone who's, who's lived with someone with a debilitating illness they, you know, they, they see that and that's, the, it's a challenge for a long time before the point of death. But then certainly after I, you know, I, I, I was hoping because I started to learn about anticipatory grief and I had presumed that, wow, maybe there's some, some preparatory work that I've done here. And I was reading, I was studying about, you know, trying to prepare for this. It, it's like, it didn't matter. Yeah. She passed away and the numbness was, was immediate, just this this dull sense of slow motion that my life was moving through. The world around me kept moving at its same pace. And everything that I saw and felt was just, it's like I was floating outside of myself. And it, you know, you said you, you can't imagine it, but I'm sure you've heard it. Cause I know when I, when I speak with the bereaved, a lot of the, a lot of those stories are the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, their, their life is turned upside down. They're confused. They, you know, everything that they've understood suddenly doesn't make sense. Um, the simplest tasks become enormous challenges. All these, all these different examples. I, I went through all that. It's very easy for me to validate and uh, w- with others who are experiencing that impact of grief, because I, I know what that feels like. Even if the stories are completely different, mm-hmm. that, that impact a lot of times is very similar. And I would imagine being a man, it's so much different too, because I think that um, just how society even views men and their stoicism and their strength, and then to be feeling these feelings and then thinking, should I be feeling these feelings? Who can I show these (laughs) feelings to? Can I show these feelings at all? I mean, just even the, the psychology and the thought around unpacking what you're actually feeling. Yep. Because as men, I'm sure you're not as, uh, I don't want to say attached or identify maybe with emotions as much as women. It's just so much easier. It's part of well, our- It's expected. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. And, and Sherry, those are the, the lies that cancer told me. Yeah. That's a big part of what that title, what would you know, derive that title and what that's mm-hmm. about are these, all these different messages and these different beliefs that I mm-hmm. had myself about- what bereavement should be and how I should grieve, how I should be a father, how I should be a a husband while my wife's alive. Now, how do I be a widower and all these, and without, without any reference point, I had to look to our society and our culture and what I was taught and what I believed. And and, and you're right. That's a lot of it zeros in right in there. You chin out and you you move on. (laughs) Yeah. Because the inside's not matching what the outside's telling you. Yes. Yes. And you know, and, and I, I don't know what it's like to be a man and I don't know what it's like to be a man grieving, but I do know that as my husband and I were grieving the loss of our son, that more people came to the mother with their sympathy and with their expressions of condolences and around the mother of the child 
and really not even making space for the man who lost the child, the grieving father. And, um, and so when we learned about that, I always used a we, a we, a we, because my husband and I lost our son. And, um, and so, you know, sometimes people just assume that the man's the pillar of strength. Right. And, and he gets a little um, pat on the back on the way out the door and yeah, you know, yeah. Keep your chin up and, you know, people have, have concern, but right. that's the way they show it. Right. So let me, let, let's talk about this being a man that's grieving. Um, what, what, had, what did you find? What have you found out and what have you observed and what have you learned? Well, you know, I, I learned a, a lot of what you had just said that there is this, this is a bit of a imbalance in a lot of cases mm-hmm. and, and it becomes reinforced because the more that we say that men grieve a certain way or that men, you know, just, just uh, don't have those feelings or don't express those feelings, the more our society reinforces that. And then if you're a male, the more you reinforce that for yourself. And then you become what you're, you know, what you're being told and what you heard is, is the norm. So then you start to convince yourself that that's the way it should be. And that's why I said the the inside doesn't always match the outside because on the inside, a lot of times it's very different. We're feeling like we want to scream out, like we just need to be heard and we want to explode. And there's not really a welcoming outlet for that. So then you can see sometimes where that is expressed through anger, it's expressed through violence, it's expressed through numbing and drinking and partying and, and, and all these kind of excessive outbursts of behavior. But it's because, in my opinion, that there isn't welcoming, acceptable channels for us to, to express it safely and in a healthy way. And we've never really been taught how to do that. And so even when sometimes when we'll turn to our good friends or our family, they haven't been taught how to do that before the same reasons. They're, they have the same stereotype, the same perspective. They don't know how to respond. That's why it's easy to come respond to the mom. You know how to you go, mm-hmm. you hug and you hold hand and you cry. And that's, you can do that with a mom. With a dad, you give him a little pat on the shoulder and look in the eye, maybe a handshake and wish him the best luck. It's what just, is, it's just it? how, how yeah. it works. And what, and what is it that you needed? What was it that you needed? I needed the same thing women usually need, which is to be heard. I needed somebody to, to listen to my experience without trying to fix it. I needed someone to allow me to share that and know that it's okay. Um, that was a big, big part of it. And, and, and not try to convince me that it's, it's going to be okay or not try to tell me that I'm, I'm strong and I can make this happen. And, and, you know, and everybody, my daughters are counting on me. I knew they were counting on me. I, I, I felt the pressure. I get it. I didn't have to be reminded of that. I needed somebody to be there and listen to my experience and not judge me for it, not fix me for it. And it was very hard to find. I think that's why a grief coach is so, such a, a, a good thing um, because they can be that person that you can talk through this. They're not emotionally attached to it. They can allow you to get through those feelings. And sometimes through the speaking of it, the talking of it, the sharing of it, you can figure things out yourself a lot of times, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You can process that a lot more. 
a good friend that can do that for you is a beautiful thing. But like you said, we're ill-equipped. It makes us uncomfortable. And so, and, and especially if you have that fixer personality, I can't fix this for you. Um, but so, I'll try, <laughs> but I'll yeah. try to fix, right? Because I'm now, you, this is how, really uncomfortable. So how did you eventually find that then? Well, unfortunately for me, I had two very good friends. Um, mm-hmm. One at the time happened to live in London, um, but that didn't stop him from connecting. And, and he also had business here. And would when he, whenever he was in, in the area, he would make go out of his way and we would see each other. And he was one of those guys that we'd go out and we'd have a beer, we'd have a burger, and he would just sit and we would talk about the real stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's how I, that's how I recognize the difference here. I mean, I, I saw what that simple expression, what that did for me. It didn't take, didn't, I didn't require a lot of it, uh, a burger and a beer and, you know, an hour with this guy and wow, I felt like, you know, yes. I felt, yeah, I felt amazing. So that's when I recognized it's, it's, it's when you, if you can, if you can find that it's so much different. So then here's, here's what I did. I, uh, I, I was seeing, I was seeing a counselor at the time and I had, I had to go through a few different ones because I had yeah. some, some, <laughs> some yeah. bad experiences. Right. Um, and this one that I found, she was, she was a, a breach. She, she was a social worker, mm-hmm. uh, but very, very skilled with bereavement training, bereavement coaching and counseling and was wonderful. And I, I, I was telling her, I said, look, I want to find a person that is, was, has a similar situation to mine. That's, you know, young, has some children and whether it's breast cancer or not, that doesn't matter, but, you know, lost his wife. And, but yet he's, He's three, five, seven years ahead. I want to, I want to talk to somebody who's down, been down the path and who's done it because I, you know, I want to know how they did it. I want to talk to them and see what it's like. Because at the time, I didn't think I was going to get there, wherever that was. I just thought it's over. And I need, I need to, I need some, yeah, some coaching <laughs> from yeah. somebody who's already on the other side. And first it's just discovered it was difficult for her to find that. It was difficult for her to find, um, somebody who had kind of gone down that path in a successful way and, and, and really done well. And she gave me a couple of names and I reached out to a few of these people and I didn't, didn't know them, but she, you know, mm-hmm. could talk to them and made the connection. And I remember very clearly, I remember leaving work one day and calling this gentleman. He was, he was local. He wasn't far from me. And oh, I didn't know him and spoke with him. And he was, yeah, he lost his wife maybe three years ago, had a couple of maybe middle schoolers. I can't remember, maybe high school by then. And as we were talking, he was just describing his, his situation. Now, now, keep in mind, I'm hoping to find this, this optimistic, you know, winning attitude, somebody that's got there and really championed on top of the hill. And it was quite the opposite. Um, this guy, it was two or three years. He couldn't keep a job. He, I think at the time, was unemployed. He didn't sound like he got out of the house very much. The kids were doing a lot of work. I mean, it was, it was this scenario where I, I just envisioned his home. I thought this is a, this, a dark environment and this guy is sinking and he's depending on his kids to, to carry him through. And he just kept, you know, on and on he was going. And I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> Sherry, I thought, wait a minute, this, this isn't, this isn't the direction I'm looking for. This isn't the example that I was hoping to find. And it was, it was very clear to me at that point. I remember hanging up the phone. I'm still on my ride home because I drove around the long way. And 
I thought, wow, I can't, I, I don't know what the future is going to hold for me, but it can't be that. I know it cannot be that. And that in itself was a huge, huge turning point for me. And it was still early on. I mean, my, my, my grieving, this was, it was maybe a couple of months after my wife passed, I was still a mess, but I thought, I know I can't be that. I was convinced. So I thought that amazing. Isn't that amazing? Something similar happened for me and I won't go into it now, but um, sometimes the biggest course to the, the biggest lesson to get you into a space of hope and healing is to find someone and say, I can't be that. I won't be that. So I, if I don't want to be that, then what do I want to be? Yep, exactly. Is that yes. sounds like what happened to you? It's exactly what happened, and that's the next. And now, how how I how, how I coach, you know, on this topic, because a lot of times what we hear right right away is someone comes, and they, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. What do I do? What do I do? And we tell ourselves that all the time when mm-hmm. we're in this nightmare situation. What what am I going to do? Well, it's hard to know what you're going to do if you don't know who you're going to be. Right. You know, if you haven't decided that. So that's, you know, I ask people to rephrase that, that question rather than ask, what will you do? Who will you be? Who do you want to become? And, and sometimes that's very challenging, especially at that point, you know, in, in the grief process, people sometimes don't know what they want. They can't answer. Well, at least can you tell me what you don't want? <laughs> well, you know, yeah. And I don't want to become, you know, I don't want to become an alcoholic. Okay. There's one. And what else? And I'll walk them through like, like some of these are extreme things. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be a violent person. Okay, great. I mean, now we've got something, there's a boundary here that you're, you're not going to cross. I don't want to be a victim. Yeah. Don't want to be a victim. Here's these things. So then if not that you're right now, there's this, there's this empty space, this open space where you can operate. Right. And within that, then we start to work. Well, what do you want to be? Where do you, what do you want to have happen? And I decided, well, I want to be a good father. Okay. I, I want to be a good father to my kids. And then I had to think, well, what does a good father do? What is that? I thought, well, they, you know, it's somebody who's reliable, somebody who remains honest with his kids and that they can trust him and that's, that's available for, for them. Okay. Well now <laughs> those are suddenly little categories that I thought, okay, that's, that's how I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be honest with my kids. I'm going to be honest with how I feel about things. And when they ask, and when they have their own challenges or they ask about their mom or they're sad, I'm going to work with them through that in an honest way, the best I can. Um, and that was now, that became my what? That's what I'm going to do. So now each time these little challenges came along, each time my daughter was in front of me crying, I had an answer to my what? Mm-hmm. It, 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 there's, a, there's a sequence to, you know, to that. And then I wanted to be a good friend. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a good employee. I didn't want to lose my job. That was my, that was my other what thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to lose my job because I don't want to lose my house. <laughs> okay. Well, then what I have to do? I have to be a good employee. How do oh, I become a good employee? Right. I got, yeah, I got to get my ass out of bed. I got to, yeah. right. I got to do these things that now require me to be, be a good employee. And that's, and then that's, that was my, my little action plan. And it worked. And that's, I mean, and, and to me that you were, so you, you had at some point to make a choice because you could have been, three years down the road, like the person that you discovered, right? Oh yeah. Especially at like, the, like if said, I was it, a mess. <laughs> yeah. So you, so um, I th- always tell people the first thing is to just de- to decide, you know, that you want to heal, that you want to get better, that you want life to get better. 
um, that's kind of like the first thing, because, you know, one of the big myths is all time will heal all wounds. Just give it some time. Just give it some time. Well, what happens when you give it time? Right. You're just going to float along in that time. What what are you going to do with that time? Mm -hmm. You have to be intentional with it. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, you, you can wander and float into all sorts of areas that you never thought you would, you would be because you, you didn't, you weren't guided. And it, you know, I, I watch just walked you through a pretty, you know, what ended up becoming a pretty uh, kind of a tight um, little plan for me, a little logic plan, but that didn't, that didn't happen on my ride home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that right. took, you know, for me, that took you know, months and months and months for me to kind of just figure out what is, what does that look like for me? That ride home was simply, I can't go there. Mm-hmm. And, and I just remember how motivated I was that, that they're right. That's, that's not an option. And it's hugely motivating. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did help steer me away from alcohol. I mean, I, I at the time I was living on bourbon and coffee. <laughs> I could, you know, I had no appetite. I say, you know, it, 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 I was really a mess. Could be, you know, getting to work and getting the job done at the time. It was very, very difficult. A lot of times I just, I wouldn't do it. So to see, and I guess, and it just occurred to me to see what I had asked for from that, from that therapist you know, show me someone who's further down the path, I guess, in hindsight, she did. Except it yeah. was the path that I, you know, it was the path that, that uh, was not meant for me. If you doing what you're doing yeah. or not here, doing, yeah. this is your path. It's almost Ebenezer, like, you know, Ebenezer like Scrooge, the, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. The, the, the person. Bob Marley, there he was. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, I just got chills from that is that you could, you could see that and, and you have to make that decision, but it's not. And I think that the, the fact of the matter is, is that you weren't looking for someone else to make those changes for you because, you know, I mean, no one has a magic wand. It would be so nice if someone had a magic wand and could just wave it and you were on your path and you were better and you could, you know, just carry on. But it's not, we have a lot of personal work to do. And, and I, and, and so let me ask you this, because as a man to meet those emotions and to feel those emotions and connect to them, some men just absolutely refuse to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and as a coach, that's, you know, you, you said that, you know, you've got to give that fine, create that space. That's, that's an important part of it. Yeah. You know, I, earlier I said that, you know, man just doesn't want to be, it doesn't want to be fixed either. There's, there's, they don't want to necessarily be repaired. Now they could use some, some guidance and sometimes they want, you know, some, some answers to some things, some direction, but, you know, I, I, I create that space that that's what, you know, that's what was, was granted to me in a, in a, in a, in an odd way, though I didn't want it that way. I had the space to decide mm-hmm. what's it going to look like for me. Everybody has that choice. Everybody's experience is different everybody's personality and, and, and how they're wired. It's all different. I, I need to give, you know, the, the people that I work with the same expectation that I was wanting for myself, which is the space to decide mm-hmm. and make that my path. What do you do differently now when you find others in your shoes, especially people that um, are coworkers or friends or, um, family members that now are entering into their grief journey how how do you show up differently now as a result of where you've been and what you, you know I, I show up I show up and I, and I try to connect with with their experience I try to I try to invite them to share it um, 
and, and I'll, I'll step back briefly here just just to, to set that up you know if if like the the impact of grief is, is universal and we talked about some of those things the, the the heartache the pain the i mean that that happens whether we're here in the united states across the world different cultures i mean that we're human that that impact occurs and then you know our experience is unique the circumstances our relationships all those are unique to each individual and then beyond that we have our expression which is our mourn how do we mourn our loss how do we express those feelings those issues and then and that's the outward thing that everybody sees the expression of grief or in some cases the the absence of expression hmm. so i get past all that um because i know that that's ext- extremely individual extremely personal and sometimes misleading and it's loaded with my own bias and and society's bias so i get past that into the experience and i and i genuinely want to know tell me what what happened what was that like for you tell me you know and and, and genuinely connect with not what I think their experience is or what I'm seeing from the outside, but what they're telling me their experience is from the inside. And it's a whole, it's a, it's a simple set, but it's a completely different perspective. So it allows me to really understand where they're at, but even more importantly, Sherry, it gives them that space to be able to share their experiences, which earlier I said, is the thing that I needed the most. I just needed someone to hear what I'm going through and what I feel about it whether it's right or wrong or crazy, I need that expression. So that's, that's how I show up differently. I kind of get past the behaviors. I get past the expressions, whether they're crying or not, or whatever their appearances are for activities. I get right past that. And I go right to that experience, which then leads me usually to the impact. Mm-hmm. Cause then well, how do you feel about, how did that make you feel? Oh, wow. And by that time, right now they're really expressing about, the impact of that grief on their life. And that is, you know, especially for a guy, once you, once that happens, I mean, you'd be surprised at how much they pour out. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're often willing to, actually willing, <laughs> maybe not, they, once they do it, they recognize how important it was for them. Yeah. But you're right. Not, not often willing. Yeah. So I don't just, I don't just go in and try to open the door here. Tell yeah. me, tell me, like, yeah. tell me how you feel. There's something in there, you know, and try to squeeze it out of them. Yeah. I was asking, tell me what, you know, what happened? What, what's going on in your life? What is that like for you? What's it really like for you? Yeah. And that's, that's judge how it, I show up differently. Not, not, not judge it or fix it or mm-hmm. anything. And, so, and a lot of times they're, they're, they've got some apprehension yeah. because they've, they've learned, all right, this is, this is thin ice here. Do I really trust this guy? Is this, you know, mm-hmm. what's, what's he really going to try to, is he going to try to, Fix me. Is he, is he trying to? Is he trying to assess me? You know, <laughs> no. I'm just generally interested in your experience, and and that in itself, he tends to build a relationship and creates this connection that, whether it's man or woman, but certainly guy to guy, um, we can get along very well and share all sorts of real, real topics that he maybe can't express anywhere else, and it makes a lot of progress. So what is life like now, 15 years outside of this? Uh, life, life right now. Have you been able to, to build? Yeah, it's, it's unlike anything I imagined back then. Um, I'm married, remarried, and my daughters have grown safely, healthily. They're becoming wonderful, beautiful, independent women. women. My, in fact, my youngest, her, her last day of high school is today, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. 
Um, my oldest, she is married uh, and living in El Paso with her husband, who's uh, in the army and at, at Fort Bliss. And, and, you know, they're often, you know, starting their lives and, and doing it and figuring it out. And it, you know, it, it's worked. <laughs> and, 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 and my wife, coincidentally, she was a widow. Her husband, now my stepson, I have a, mm-hmm. a stepson as well. He died of liver cancer when my, when my stepson, her son was one and a half years old. So she was a widow with this young boy, you know, different circumstances, different, different ways to express the the grief, but that impact was very similar. And so now we have this hodgepodge family that is in a way a very tight nucleus of husband and wife, mother and father and children that have, if not a mom and a dad, at least a father figure and a mother figure who are and trying to do the right things, trying to stay honest, trying to help people out. And they see that and they grow through that and they're becoming their own people, uh, you know, in ways that are completely different than us, but they have those core, core principles. And it's really neat to see them shine. I think that's just a wonderful example of you and your wife being examples of people who are making it, are solidifying the fact that you can graduate from the pain of your grief and build a life that's beautiful again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It, it, beautiful. And it's, I always, and part, and part of this is me too. I, I, I'm cautious sometimes with how I celebrate that with those who are grieving, because I know what it was like when I was there. It's like, oh, there, A, I don't see it. B, um, I'm never going to get there, even if I did see it or could imagine it. And I don't, you know, wouldn't be able to identify the path um, until you're kind of on, you know, on the other side of it, looking back. <laughs> but and so so I, it's like, I want to, I wanted to tell you, Sherry, I want to say, Sherry, this is the most, such a beautiful life. I, I, I can't imagine that I'm actually here 15 years later from where I was um, spinning in a nightmare um, every day and every night, but I am. And if I look back at some of these things that even we just talked about today, those were some, that's some of the framework that I used to, to get me here. I can't think of a better way, Daryl, than shining the light on hope and healing, than living that and showing other people that it's possible. Even, even if it's just planting that seed, even if they don't believe it for themselves at the beginning, um, it's been planted and it can take root. And so that if it happened for me, it can happen for you, but you have to choose it. Yeah, you know, you know what, Sherry, you, your comments there just helped me consider something. You know, the story I just told about the, the gentleman I spoke to and that maybe, you know, the, the Bob Marley story that maybe I did see, mm-hmm. see a glimpse of the future. I guess if, if I listen to what you just told me, I can be the glimpse of the future for someone else. He was looking to see to find someone that's, oh, I want to find someone who made it. I want to find what it's like for someone who went through it and got there. And I want to hear from them. It brings me tears because you have become the man you were looking for. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. I've I've become the man that I was looking for. Should write that down. I should remember that because I sometimes just kind of beat myself up for other reasons. And that's... Thank you, Sherry. That's that's really helpful. 
I uh, think feel like I'm going welcome. through a coaching session right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good place for us to stop. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and for shining the light on hope and healing. Daryl, it's been, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. It's been a pleasure talking with you too, Sherry. Truly. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Graduating Grief Podcast. For more information on the Graduating Grief community, workshops, and retreats, go to www.sherrydunlevy.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, and share.